How to get out of bed. Shalom. Shana Tova. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, September 5th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The biblical Feast of Trumpets, which occurs just before Yom Kippur and Sukkot, has evolved into a two-day holiday called Rosh Hashanah, that is, New Year. It is a time when the shofar is blown a hundred times as a wake-up call before Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Reverend David Pelegi looks at three biblical uses of blowing the ram's horn, as a warning, a celebration, and at a king's coronation, and practical implications for us today. We begin with the lectionary readings. Our first reading is from the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verses 23 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work, but present a food offering to the Lord. Our second reading is Numbers 29, 1 through 6. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Offer a a burnt offering of one year bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old all without defect. With the bull, offer a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, with a ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. The, they, uh, excuse me, these are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings, and drink offerings as specified. They are food offerings presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our third reading for today is from Psalms number 98. Shiru <laughs> הודיעה אדוני ישועתו, לעיני הגויים גילה צדקתו. זכר חסדו ואמונתו לבית ישראל, ראו כל אפסי ארץ את ישועת אלוהינו. הריעו לאדוני כל הארץ, פיצחו ורננו וזמרו. זמרו לאדוני בכינור, בכינור וכל זמרה. בחצוצרות וכל שופר הריעו לפני המלך אדוני. ירעם הים ומלאו, תבל ויושבי בה. נהרות ימחאו כף, יחד הרים ירננו. לפני אדוני קיווה לשפוט הארץ, ישפוט תבל בצדק ועמים במישרים. This is the world of the Lord. It's our custom to stand when the Gospels are read, so please stand with me. This continuing song of praise to the Lord is echoed in our final reading from the Gospels, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. It's known as the Song of Miriam or the Song of Mary. And thanks to the Lord. My soul glorifies the Lord, 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the servant of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down their rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. The word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we ask that um, all of us will have ears to hear. And we pray that your word will be powerful. And we ask that um, you will give us grace to respond. May each of us hear your voice in the way that uh, we need. And we pray that um, we will be able to listen clearly and have hearts that um, want to obey and turn towards you, our good and loving Heavenly Father. We pray that uh, you'll have mercy upon us, your children, as we examine your word this evening. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We um, suspended the lectionary this this evening, I'm not going to speak from the, from the appointed gospel passage of Mark, just to remind folks that uh, the lectionary serves us, we don't serve it. And though uh, we're virtually on the eve of uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and I'd like just to say a few words about the holiday and what we can learn from uh, uh, this particular event. Sometimes I see um, two extremes in the church or in the community. One extreme says, yes, all of those festivals and feasts in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled all of them. They were their uh, types, or they're somehow uh, uh, things that <clears throat> point to Jesus but are no longer relevant for us. And we have a number of people in recent years <clears throat> who've become infatuated with Jewish things and um, can be good. And uh, some of this infatuation um, means that there, there's an attachment to Yiddishkeit. Does anyone know what Yiddishkeit is? No, I like Yiddishkeit, yes, but Yiddishkeit is a certain kind of Jewish culture, yes. Uh, kosher dill pickles, songs that with minor chords that go la, 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 you know, pictures of uh, dancing Hasidim, yes, so Yiddish slang. And uh, somehow people can think that very spiritual, and very authentic. And when it comes to the holidays, sometimes the meaning and the importance of that holiday gets lost. And so I'd like to 
examine that this evening. But before we do, I think we have to ask the question, how is it that a feast known as the Feast of Trumpets, as in the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers, in which we have just a few tiny verses about this festival, how does it become the very big and important Yes, holiday that it is today uh, in Israel, or has been amongst Jewish people for hundreds of years. All it says is, blow a trumpet. And then it says, come to the temple and bring a sacrifice. And yet today, any, those of us uh, who are familiar, I'm sure don't need to hear this, but today it's a very important uh, part of the Jewish calendar, whether you're secular or religious. It... Um, it's extremely important uh, for families uh, throughout the country. Uh, it's a time of uh, introspection and repentance and preparation for Yom Kippur and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a way of ending one year and beginning uh, beginning another. Some of you know the, the uh, tradition of apples and honey, eating fish, and uh, other things that are associated with this particular holiday. And you would think, you know, you might ask the question, how did it get so big? And the answer, I think, is very helpful for us because Jews, ancient Jews, and um, reading uh, about this particular festival, they had to ask themselves the question, wait a minute, this is an important day, but yet God doesn't tell us anything. Uh, we, we don't know why we're blowing these trumpets. And so they did what we as Christians still do today. When we have um, some kind of, you might say, problem in the Bible or a difficulty understanding a portion of Scripture, how do we solve that problem? We look for other parts of the Scripture, yes, to give us the answer or to unlock the mystery for us. And so they just simply began to let their minds work like a concordance, and they began to ask themselves, well, wait a minute, what's a shofar all about? Why are we blowing this shofar? Why blow a shofar? Well, they would, um, uh, could immediately think of Mount Sinai. Yes, when God uh, came down and gave the Torah, the guidance, the direction, and instruction. Yes, according to Exodus chapter 19, yes, there was the, the blast of a trumpet. And the voice of God himself sound, sounded like a trumpet, if you're familiar with that passage, that passage in Exodus. And if you are familiar with the prophets or even the book of Judges, uh, there's always the connection between uh, disaster, usually an advancing army of one kind or another, and the blast of a trumpet. Some of you, many of us know the verse, blow a trumpet in Zion from Joel chapter 2. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, it is close at hand. And further on in the chapter, Yes, blow a trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, a sacred assembly. Or in Amos, you read 
chapter 3, verse 6, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord, has not the Lord caused it? Or Zephaniah chapter 1, which reminds us that uh, the, the uh, blast of a trumpet, sounding of a shofar, is a, um, a forewarning of uh, judgment and disaster that is going to come upon a city. And when uh, Jerusalem is about to be destroyed, it talks about uh, a day of trumpet and battle against the fortified cities and against the against the towers, the corner, the corner towers. So all of these um, things would begin to make uh, people think, that, well, yes, this is an important holiday, and, but while the Bible isn't telling us something, it's telling us something. Uh, and of course, for those who may be uh, familiar, the, the blast of a trumpet um, has an eschatological Yes, connection as well. We may remember Isaiah 27. It says, in that day, reading from verse 12, the Lord will, th- will thresh from the flowing Euphrates to the, to the wadi of Egypt, and you, Israel, will be gathered up one by one. And in that day, a great trumpet will sound. Those who were perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Yes? So here we have, a, um, we have uh, trumpets that are used at Sinai, trumpets that um, warn people of, you might say, of disaster, the need to repent. And there's an eschatological, right? There's an eschatological, um, you know, understanding uh, in all of this. And I'd like just to speak briefly about those three aspects. Yes, God at Sinai and what that means for us. Yes, a trumpet. Yes, the blowing of the shofar as a warning to repent before disaster falls upon us. And three, that great eschatologist. Wait a minute, eschatology, eschatological. Gosh, I shouldn't use big words like that. End time, that end time hope, you know, when the end is coming. I don't know when the end is coming, but there will be an end. And and there should be an end to um, big fancy theological language, should there not? Yes. Okay, so one, the blowing of the shofar. Yes. What What happens at Sinai? And uh, certainly, why is Sinai? Why is Sinai so important for us? It's because at Sinai, when God brings His people to the mountain, it's there at Sinai that God, after issuing that invitation and after liberating them and redeeming them, and may I point out that the people of Israel at this time had no merit. Yes, they couldn't claim good works. They couldn't claim to be holy. They couldn't claim to be worshiping God and not worshiping idols. You may remember they didn't even know God's name. Yes, they were totally, um, you might say, ignorant, totally far away from God, as far away as possible. Yet God in his mercy, he redeems them. 
He saves them. This is called grace. This is called God set his love and affection on his people. They weren't keeping the commandments. They weren't eating kosher or, or observing the Sabbath. And he saves his people. But after he redeems them, yes, after he brings them into liberation, then he issues the invitation at Sinai. And the invitation is very simple. Now that I've redeemed you, God says, I have the right to rule over you. Will you accept? Yes. Here are the commandments. And these commandments are given to you so that you will be made holy, that you'll be set aside for my purpose. And they're also given, according to Deuteronomy 13, for your own good. Sometimes we think God gives us these commandments. And why does he do it? Because he's some old man up there and wants to keep us from having fun. But he, keep, he, gives us these, he gives us Torah so that we as human beings can flourish. Otherwise, we fall into chaos and we fall into such sin and degradation that we end up destroying ourselves and hurting ourselves in a very, very uh, unfortunate way. And that, you might say, paradigm is equally true for the New Testament. I'm reminded of the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is talking in that chapter largely about sexual immorality. And Paul says, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, think about God as redeemer. It's not simply the one who saves and the one who delivers, but he's also the God who transforms. He's also the God who restores. And you don't, I think we see this in a very beautiful way when it comes to the year of Jubilee. The Jubilee year, every 49, every seven times seven, every, every 49th year, the Jubilee begins when? What day does it begin on? And how does it begin? It begins on Yom Kippur. It begins on Yom Kippur, and it begins with the blast of a trumpet, obviously after Kippur has ended. Yes, there's the blowing of the shofar, and that's the year of Jubilee. That's the year when the slaves are set free, when land returns to its original, land is given back to their original owners. It's when there's justice, right? And you might say a resetting of um, the social economic order. And that um, year, that year of Jubilee, yes, again, which emphasizes release and emphasizes restoration, That year of Jubilee begins only when there's repentance and only when there's the blast of the shofar. Yes. So if we want to talk about a God, we want to talk about a God who rules and reigns and a God who's king, we have to connect it with a God who is in the business of transformation and restoring 
and healing, yes, and fixing a broken world. And I, don't, I think we see this very beautifully. This, we see this paradigm or this understanding in the ministry of Jesus. Because for Jesus, how does he understand his ministry? He understands his ministry as the year of Jubilee. When he sits in that synagogue in Nazareth and he says, you know, this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year that there's going to be released for the prisoners Yes, and good news is going to be preached to the poor. Yes, that in Jesus himself, there is uh, more, than, uh, more than social economic restoration or release. Yes, there's actually uh, healing and redemption in its fullest, widest sense. And how does Jesus start his ministry? It's repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, that if we understand God is king, we understand that God is one uh, who sanctifies and restores like, from the ravages of sin and from the ravages, you might say, of our own stupidity or of the terrible things that may happen to us, yes, and which we're not responsible. Yes, but all of that process begins with repentance. And of course, um, Jesus, for Jesus, it's repentance isn't only just a one-time thing, right? It becomes a lifestyle. Literally in the Gospels, it's repent and keep on, it's repent and keep on repenting. And I think this is the value of hearing, or this is the value of uh, the Feast of Trumpets, or what's now become Rosh Hashanah. Because on one hand, there is a lot of joy in this. And on the other hand, something very sober and very serious. And uh, the people of Israel are called upon to examine themselves, to look inward, yes, very carefully, and to repent. And I think that you might say exercise or that process is, uh, is certainly good for us. And what the shofar does, it's loud, it's rude, it's sometimes shocking, is that hopefully it jars us out of our complacency or jars us out of our self-justification. You know that everyone has a, a firm of solicitors, a firm of lawyers that are working for, for each one of us. And you know what these lawyers say? We don't... You, you're really not the problem here. You're not guilty. It's not your fault. I mean, if you look at it technically, it's their fault. They should have never done this and this. You're really okay. They're the problem. Just give us permission and we'll sue. <clears throat> we'll go after them. Yes, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go after them. Yes, so we're constantly justifying ourselves. We can constantly excuse ourselves. Yes, it's human nature. We uh, live lives oftentimes that are on autopilot. Yes, and uh, we fall victims to uh, a certain routine. And the shofar says, you know, wake up. I think God um, is blowing a shofar metaphorically. And the shofar is called COVID. Now, people ask me, 
regularly. Is this a judgment from God? Is this a punishment? And I have to say, well, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet. I don't know. But I can assure you of one thing, that God has used this to pull back, yes, the curtain on our own deception and on our own greed and on our own pettiness. Yes, it's very hard to hide now. And what all of this pandemic has done is that it's revealed um, a certain panic. There's a fear of death amongst many people. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the secular world, and even good part of the, some of the Christian world, runs on a philosophy called healthism. You know what healthism is? It's 93-year-old grannies in the gym pumping iron. It's people on keto diets. It's people on vegan diets. It's people drinking apple cinnamon vinegar for breakfast and fasting for three days and four nights. There's this passion for health, health, health. Yes, stay alive, stay alive, stay healthy, stay active. Why? Because once you die, that's, that's it. So live life to the fullest. And so we have in many quarters, in many places in the world, this incredible fear. And then we have lots of people who aren't so fearful of death, but they're, quite, they're uh, in open rebellion against the authorities or against society or against culture. And they have another fear that somebody is trying to control their life or somebody is trying to, uh, you know, take over. Or maybe somehow this is the, the beginning of the end and this is the, the system of the Antichrist. Yes, but they live uh, not in confidence. Yes, but they live, uh, live in fear. And of course, there's this... this We've idolized and worshipped technology. And always think technology somehow is going to save us. And all of this has led to a huge amount of hatred and division in at least many Western societies. That's where I hate you because you don't think like me. You don't think like me politically. You don't think like me, you know, regarding the vaccine. You know, the devil, you might say, is on the loose or is having a field day in all of this. But of course, most of us don't resist the devil. Yes, we allow him, we allow him to toy with us. By the way, I should mention that also in this whole process, we have some new saints, doctors, nurses, and others, you know, who um, have uh, worked incredibly hard and given, a, given of themselves for a year and a half to combat this disease. So not everything is black, or not everything is, um, there's not total depravity. There might be sufficient depravity in the human, but not, not total depravity. And you know, many of my friends tell me it's inevitable. The slow train of judgment is coming. And I would just say to them, you know, I don't think it's coming. It's pulled into the station. The train has arrived. <clears throat> what are you waiting for? And so often the response 
from many of my friends and uh, a few of my colleagues, the response is, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. It was prophesied. My dear friends, the reason God gives prophecy, including the book of Revelation, is to give us the opportunity to repent, to change. Yes, people say it has to happen. It has to. I'm not sure. And I, I, we don't have time to explore this this evening, but a number of places in the book of Revelation, it tells us things happen because people did not repent. Things happen because people did not. Things happen because not repent. And who should repent, by the way? Remember the message of Jesus to those seven churches in Asia? Jesus didn't call on this people of Sardis, the idol worshipers, to repent, or those who were committing immorality in the temple. And he didn't call upon the governor to repent. First and foremost, he called upon the saints in Laodicea, or the saints in Sardis, to be the ones that repent. And five of the seven churches The message to them is repent. The message at the beginning of the New Testament is repentance. The message at the end is repentance. Now, let me just say a couple of words about all of this. Because we also live in a culture where we we can be obsessed with introspection. Yes, you can see it on Facebook. It's narcissism that's out of control. Look what I had for lunch today. And look, I'm feeling sad because, you know, my, my puppy is sick, whatever it may be. And uh, thanks to the Freudian revolution, yes, or unfortunately, um, because of the, the revolution of Freud and others, yes, we're constantly, constantly examining ourselves and all of our feelings, yes, and all of our motivations. Well, to a certain point, that's healthy but it's not healthy to do all the time. And when we do come and sit before the Lord, and we do want to ask to when we want to to prepare our hearts, again, to repent, we can ask the Lord to send the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit help illuminate us and let the Holy Spirit help show us, yes, what it is that we we need to um, put before the Lord and ask for his mercy and his grace and his help. We don't have to do this, I might say, totally by ourselves, and we don't have to, to do this forever. And my dear friends, because of the message of the kingdom, yes, that Jesus uh, brings healing and restoration, hopefully we're not saying after 40 years, well, I'm this way because my parents messed me up. Yes? It's not saying, you know, forget it and get over it. It's saying we should be healed of those things uh, and be moving on. I think some people find it really helpful uh, to journal and to write some of these things down. Yes? And uh, what's good about that is you can always go back and see, see what the Lord has done. And when we, when we have a good, a good sense and we don't forget uh, the good, the powerful redemptive work that he does in our lives, uh, we can express more gratitude. I think the, um, 
The other thing is, of course, if we're, is that, um, you know, our sin uh, does very well in the dark. And I'm reminded of James 5. James says, if any of you are sick, call for the elders of the church, confess your sins, and you will be healed. So we may need to find someone to talk to uh, and have someone pray with us. We don't have to confess, put all our sins out on Facebook. I know some people do that. In fact, it's very popular in our society for movie stars and politicians to tell us all the things they did before they were 18. Yes, but their goal is simply confession to alleviate their conscience. Their goal is in trans- transformation. Finally, yes, if we talk about God and his kingship, God wants to rule and reign over us. Yes, and by the way, how is it that God rules and reigns over us? It's summed up very beautifully in the Lord's Prayer. In two lines, it sums up, you know, of a lot of Scripture. It's, it's your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes? Where's, where do we find God's kingdom? Where do we find God, again, taking control and taking charge over us or over any given situation? Where... People are obeying him and doing his will. Yes. We pray that prayer kingdom come. It's not something way off in the sky when I die and the sweet by and by. Yes, the kingdom is a present reality. And finally, may I remind you, yes, that as we speak about judgment, there is judgment in our lives and judgment in the lives of of, uh, of uh, Corporate entities, families, nations, businesses. Very often God just allows us to reap what we sow. Yes, that's oftentimes the judgment. But at the end, there will come a super big judgment. And uh, that's put forward, or that's described for us in in a very beautiful way in Psalm 98. Yes, and in Psalm 98, um, which we heard in Hebrew, it's sing to the Lord a new song. Now, what's the new song here? Really, it's the same old song. It's the same song Israel's been singing for a long time. What's new about it is where it will be sang. It will, it, the nations will be the ones singing this song, not simply the people of Israel. yes. And um, it says that the, the, uh, the Lord has made his salvation known. He's revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Yes. And so what do we, what do we, see, what do we discover here is that God's ultimate goal is not just to save a few souls, not just to get a few teenagers to stop watching porn, not to, to restore only restore a few marriages, which is all these are good things, yes, but yes, the end is a new heavens and a new earth, yeah. a new heavens and a new earth. But in order for that to happen, there has to be judgment.
Because the end of this beautiful psalm says he will come, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, many of us will say, wait a minute, I don't like judgment. I don't like God to be a judge. But if God doesn't judge, there isn't an end to violence and there isn't an end to oppression and there isn't an end to wickedness and greed and exploitation. All of that will simply continue, continue, continue. And it says God will judge with righteousness. Yes, and the term, sometimes the term righteousness, um, when we read it in the Psalms, really denotes God's covenant faithfulness, God's mercy. Yes, God's not a terrorist. He is not capricious. He's not a cranky, angry old man, you know, can't wait to inflict punishment on people. Yes, there is judgment. There is a settling of accounts, although God does it with mercy, and he does it in tenderness. And in all of this, guess what? The shofar blows. And that shofar, that blowing of the trumpet, should assure us, you know, of, you might say, of the goal, of where God is taking us, of where history will ultimately end up. How it gets there, we don't know. But hopefully we have enough faith and trust that we can respond in the proper way. And what is the proper response? I think it's laid out for us here. The proper response is not to walk around and complain or not to walk around and say occasionally, hey, you know, yeah, the Lord's going to fix everything. But the proper response is shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord. Yes, shout for joy before the Lord. And as we worship, even nature itself will join in that worship, right? That's our proper response. Yes, it is enthusiastic that uh, first and foremost, we will uh, ask ourselves, you know, are you king? Are you ruling and reigning over our lives? We will ask ourselves, are we allowing you to, uh, to redeem us? Are we, allow, are we repenting? Are we willing to give up our rebellion or those fun habits, you might say, that um, do not please you? And finally, Lord, do we have a vision of you and a vision of your kingdom that's big and broad and biblical? Or are we... Is our understanding of God too small and too insignificant? Lord, forgive us when we don't full, when we don't see the bigger picture. Again, give us faith and give us assurance of these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, we did invite someone come and blow the shofar. Please stand. Uh, let's listen to him, and let's listen to it not just as a novelty or something kind of cool, but uh, listen to it, listen to the blowing of the shofar 
as if the Lord was speaking to us. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.